to the Think Podcast, the show where we tackle impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. It is Worldview Wednesday, and I am here with hey. my good friend, Rafe Chenery. Rafe, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Joel. I am uh, I'm uh, in a place right now that has poor internet connection and so uh you're gonna get my avatar which is a wonderful picture of me and then hopefully you're gonna get my voice and not much delay uh and uh lord willing i'll be able to get back next week for worldview wednesday to a place that has a little bit more high-speed internet so i can balance out your uh your face on the left joey we'll have a nice little balance of the two on the right but the- yes sir <laughs> you're, you're taking Just the social kidding. distancing thing uh pretty far man uh leaving the state Oh, yeah, not that I go. blame you, especially in light of our conversation last week with everything going on here in Illinois. But uh, but you you are uh, in an undisclosed location. Can you tell I'm us? I'm in the land of the free. I'm over in Indiana. It's not too far away. India, the land of the free. And of course, the freedom is not free. Um, you do have to pay uh, a hefty fee. And that fee, of course, is uh, bad internet connection. Slow internet. So um, <laughs> Exactly. So, exactly. so, so if there is a delay between you and I, it hopefully is only a second or two and it won't, it won't cause much of a burden. Yeah. You know what I'm really looking forward to here is um, I'm really looking forward to like me, me cracking some joke and then just like stopping and then there's no response. And then I keep talking. And then after I start talking again, we hear, a, we hear a laugh. That's what I'm looking forward to or some objection or something. It's going to be fun, man. We're going to, we're rocking and rolling. Well, I think today. what I'm looking forward to is trying to. I'm looking forward to trying to guess when your punchline's coming, and then going to start responding four seconds before that punchline yes. comes, so that the timing works out perfectly for the listeners. <laughs> that now, if we can perfect that, dude, <laughs> that will be. Uh, this will. This will truly be. Uh, we'll have achieved podcasting elite status. Um, so we are taking comments today, um, and you know I got to tell you. Uh, I I have been given this disclaimer lately, but keep your comments clean, keep them respectful. It's not so much that Rafe and I are concerned about you respecting us, but like respect the listening audience. Um, and the reason why I say that is because today, Rafe, as you know, we're kind of, um, I don't say this lightly, we're kind of walking into a little bit of a minefield today, a, a potential minefield. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping that we're going to have some good engagement from our our listening audience, Mark Sanders has already popped up to say, what's up fellas, brother Sanders. Hope you're doing well. But, um, Rafe, what are we talking about today? Yeah. Um, well, I agree with you, Joel. I think we are stepping into a, a bit of a minefield. I think that's a good thing. I think Christians, uh, should very willingly step into places that are uncomfortable and Absolutely. difficult. And uh, I think that's especially as ministers of the gospel, it's a space where we want to do well and we want to do with sensitivity and with courage and all that kind of stuff. Today, the topic, I I guess if we could pinpoint it, uh, is around the, well, it's not really a trial yet, but around the case of Ahmaud Arbery. And uh, this is a news story that we've been watching and listening over the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of discussion of it. Uh, online, I know I wrote an article about it about uh, about a week ago or so, um, and it's just caused a lot of discussion within the church and within Christians as well as we're trying to navigate 
this moment we're in? And how do we think about this biblically? What is the biblical worldview? Um, and how do we process events like these? Where do we start from? And, uh, and so that's really the core of the conversation today. And obviously, as you have that conversation, it spreads to a number of other topics like justice, like race. And so you kind of start jumping into a number of different, um, you know, second, not secondary, but related conversations. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And um, just at the outset, Rafe, maybe we ought to give a few disclaimers. Um, the very fact that, uh, you know, who we are and how society would would uh, look at us, and then the fact that you and I are having a conversation like this. Um, what is the difficulty here? What is the societal challenge, or at least the challenge of perception that's naturally going to be associated with a couple of guys like you and me having a conversation like this? What, what are you anticipating? What are you What are you thinking about that? Well, when you say a couple of guys like me, like you and me, I, I, I think you're referring to the complexion of our skin. Um, and, and I think that there's a very real um, part of the conversation that's very important. That'll weave its way all the way through. Um, there's, a, there's a limitation uh, that you and I, as, as two white men, will have in giving input into a conversation like this, uh, simply because there are parts of the story uh, not I, I. I don't want to say parts of the the facts in terms of like if this were to go to a, a a trial before a judge, like what would be the data points that would be analyzed. What I mean is um, when when we jump into conversations on race, there are perspectives, and this is something that I is taking me quite a while to really even fully appreciate. Um, there are perspectives and depth of narrative and very real stories of people's lives and, and how this conversation has impacted people differently, that just to be blunt, as two white men, um, it's very difficult for us to appreciate that level of perspective. We, we might know the perspective, might have it in our head, um, and might have some level of heart attachment to it, um, and yet there are other perspectives that as two white men, we just will have a hard time really appreciating fully. And so I think it's wise up front just to humbly acknowledge that uh, and to do so out of a Christian perspective to say we recognize that reality, that there are perspectives that will be difficult to, for us to really share the full heart of uh, today. And that's okay. We can't cover everything every day. There's, there's a thousand perspectives, um, but it will be difficult for us to share the perspective fully um, of uh, some of our African-American brothers and sisters who have a whole lifetime of stories associated with stuff like this. Right. And the good news here too, Rafe, is that uh, from a biblical perspective, which we're going to get into the scripture surrounding this issue, the relevant passages and, and verses and themes in the Bible. But from a biblical perspective, you don't, um, you, there is not an unsurmountable, insurmountable wall between different uh, members of different ethnicities not biblically speaking. And we know that from passages like Ephesians 2, where it says there was a dividing wall of hostility between two ethnic groups, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles. And that right. wall was the law. And the law has been taken down. Uh, it's been demolished in the same way you might demolish a, you know, a, a great big wall. I mean, it's a great metaphor. And uh, But God has taken a wrecking ball to that dividing wall of hostility in the death of Jesus Christ, which brings near those who were far off, the Gentiles, and those who were close, 
the Jews. Now that's a dividing wall between the only biblical ethnic category that really involved separation, the Jews and Gentiles. So um, then you've got statements like uh, where Paul says, uh, and Rafe, you mentioned this before we started, um, I become all things to all men in order that some might be saved. So biblically speaking, now Paul was not a Gentile, but he was very comfortable speaking to Gentiles. He understood how to speak their language. Um, he understood how to use their their thinkers and their uh, metaphors that would speak to them and you know their poets and their philosophers. And so biblically speaking, regardless of what the world might tell us, tell me if you agree with this, um, because you and I might have white skin or lighter skin, uh, and my ethnic background, uh, I've got some uh, Latino in me. I've got some, uh, some some sort of Mediterranean, Italian, Sicilian in me, um, as well as uh, Scottish and English, and maybe a little bit of French mixed in there. But hey, nobody's perfect. Um, the the, uh, <laughs> the the reality of our melanin might it might cause society to assume some things about us, but it doesn't actually affect our ability to speak to those who look differently, who have different familial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. Biblically speaking, would you agree that um, that we are able to, even if we can't empathize necessarily, we can sympathize with others and we can, we can using the Bible as a reference point, we can um, communicate effectively with those who come from different ethnic or familial uh, or even linguistic backgrounds from us. Would you agree with that or, or would you want to add some nuance to that? Well, I think I would agree, but I would also add more to it. I, you know, I, I think the the church, um, and I think you're getting at this, but the church is actually historically, um, and when I mean historically, let's go back to Acts, the book of Acts. Um, the church is that historic place where truly the dividing walls um, of different ethnicities was broken down and where God's people came together around unified from different places. You know, one of the hallmark passages of this is Acts chapter 13. God's people and the came early church unifying. In Rafe, I lost it for And when they were establishing but, um, I heard you saying that God's people, they, they come around oh, and there's things and that they, unify they, they unified them. And um, I agree, man. I think we see this in Romans. I mean, I don't think we see this in Romans. We definitely see this in Romans uh, where the apostle Paul is writing to an audience of Jews and Gentiles. He's first, he calls out the Gentiles and talks about what terrible unbelieving pagans they are. And then he calls out the Jewish people and what, uh, how rebellious and uh, disobedient they were. And he says, you all both need Jesus. You all need Jesus. And so there is definitely a unifying yeah. principle. There's a, there's a place of unity at the foot of the cross. And so I did lose you there for a second, brother, but um, is that where you were going or were you taking well, that in think, a different direction? Well, no, and I, I think one of the key well, and one of the key passages that I think is important for us is Acts chapter 13 in that early church in Antioch, where the men were established as elders who came from all different uh, ethnicities and nations. And that was in a city that was really, I mean, the, the history of Antioch, where those elders were established, chapter 13, uh, that was a city that actually had physical walls that separated in the city um, different nations and where they lived. And then the church got established in the city. And all of a sudden, you've got elders from all these different quadrants of the city coming together and saying, wait, we're united around Christ. And so, yes, I do think the gospel unites us in a very real and powerful way. And it helps us to step into other people's stories. Um, you know, and, and I, I'll share just a little bit. I have, you know, Joel, we know each other well, and I have two African-American daughters. 
and I wrote this in my in what I wrote up on this Ahmad Arbery case uh, last week. But that, you know, I've been a pa- I've been a pastor for a number of years now, and a pastor of a multi church where we have people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities and stories. And I've learned a lot about people's stories. I've learned a lot how to empathize and sympathize with people and, and really get to know race at a level which really, honestly, growing up, I, I had no clue about. I really had to step into stories in a new way. But something about adopting two little African-American girls um, and, and thinking through these issues through the lens of preparing my daughters to, to live in this world that we live in, it really changed the story. It gave me a whole new level of insight and depth to think through, okay, how am I responding? How am I processing news? And not that I can perfectly relate to uh, an African-American brother or sister who processes news like this, but but definitely it gave me a new perspective at the level of family. Um, and it gave me a new concern uh, to, to maybe just process with a little bit of a, a different depth. And so I think it's important for us all that to say as Christians, one of the things we have to accept is stepping into other people's stories. Second Corinthians 1 says, with the same comfort we've received, we comfort others. And so whatever the facts, whatever our political opinion, whatever, all the different things that we need to work through with a case like this, Christian worldview demands that we step into other people's hearts and we meet them where they are and feel their pain and comfort them with the love of Jesus Christ. And that's critical to even start this entire conversation. Yeah. And the Bible gives us such a great touchstone for this because the Bible does not require us to have experienced what somebody else has experienced. Instead, although really the Bible requires two things. One, it it requires an understanding of what Christ did for you because Jesus has a new commandment I give you, that you love one another in the same way I've loved you. And then the Bible actually um, uh, assumes a starting point of self-interest. And here's why I say that. Because when the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, it assumes you're already loving yourself. This is why in Ephesians 5, when the Apostle Paul says, um, he's talking about husbands, how husbands ought to love and care for their wives. And he says, Uh, He says, no one ever hated his own body, but he loves and cherishes it. So in the same way, husbands are nourishes and cherishes it. So husbands, think of your wife as your own body, nourish her, cherish her. In other words, look, you know what it is to be self-interested. You know, you selfish person, turn turn that selfishness around and love your neighbor in the same way, whether that's your wife, whether that's, uh, whether that's your believing neighbor, whether that's someone even who would count you as an enemy, but love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And of course, Jesus takes that further and says, love the, love your brothers and sisters as I've loved you. So, so the, the paradigm, the biblical paradigm here, uh, even if we're naturally self-interested, if we have an understanding of Christ and his radical self-sacrifice, it does give us a starting point, a touchstone of love and an understanding of love that it does allow us, I believe, to effectively communicate, um, to another person and then with another person about uh, a third party or a a third party situation. So that's what we want to attempt to do right now, Rafe. Um, Let's let's just uh, get into some of the the details of this case. And again, we want to do this um, judiciously. We want to do this humbly. At no point whatsoever do we want to misrepresent Christ or what his word says. And so hopefully we can speak the truth in love here. But what are the details in this tragic event that did take place uh, in in Georgia. 
with the killing of Ahmad Arbery. What actually happened? Why don't we start there? Do you, do you have details on this? Well, yeah, and I, as we jump into the what happened, I think it's interesting with this case, um, just to remember that what happened is still being discussed and we're learning. And, and really that's what a court of law is. And I think maybe even just a, a quick word, I'm sure we'll come back to this later, but uh, one of the reasons that Christians uh, love justice is because we serve a God of justice and we, and we appreciate a court of law where they're able to really dig in and get into what did happen. Uh, you know, regular people like you and me who don't necessarily have all the details, we're going off of some of the facts that we see. And I think as Christians, it's it, we always have to do a, as best a job as we can to really get to the bottom of it, to see the full story, to understand it, and to think with a clear head on it. And so maybe <clears throat> the way I would think through the facts that we know, and granted, I, I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on the facts that are available right now, um, but Ahmaud Arbery, um, the original story that came out that caused so much outrage was that he was on a jog, he was jogging down the street, and then um, he was essentially, someone was trying to make a citizen's arrest. And he was, if you see that there's a video of him that came out, someone was videoing the moment where this took place. And a truck was pulled over on the side of the road. There was two men. One man was out, and I think he had maybe a shotgun or just a larger gun in his hand and was blocking Ahmad from passing him in the road while he was on, while Ahmad was on his jog. Uh, and then a jog, Ahmad went around the truck and then ended up getting into a kind of a scuffle with this man over the shotgun. And at the end, uh, both the other man came out of the truck, and then it was a two-on-one situation, and Ahmad ended up dead. Uh, having got shot a number of times. And with only that information, that was kind of the first wave of information that came out. And it really just looked um, and, and seemed, I mean, even just processing the video itself is just difficult. Honestly, see, anytime you see a video like that, it just, it brings a level of uh, emotional, this is wrong. Like I'm watching a man die and like my heart just burdens for that. Oh man. Um, and so even just processing is difficult, but the, the what happened was that was the first video that came out, and and rightfully so. Man, it just is terrible. A man was killed, and I think immediately, uh, and myself included, and, and immediately there was a very large outcry that how could this take place with the knowledge I that no arrest was second, made. But after I hear that. what you're saying, man. No immediately, as soon as as soon as you see that, I, the the visceral response from the broader culture. Um, I think we can certainly understand. Uh, you had um, just a lot of people sharing their own stories, their own reactions. There were there were people who actually committed to running uh, a certain distance in sort of in honor of um, Ahmad's birthday, and you know the hashtag I run with Maud was was trending, and so the response I think was very understandable, especially in light of the that as you put it that initial wave. Of, of information came out there. And so, um, Rafe, as more information began to come out, you know, what happened? Did that, did that, for you, did that change your perspective at all? What was your initial response and, and how did your thinking about this, how has your thinking uh, evolved or developed over the last few days as more information, you know, has become available to us? Yeah. 
Well, then the, the second piece of information that came out, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most people have seen this now. And by the way, if you hear a lot of children screaming in the background, I think one of my daughters just fell in the pond in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> they all swim just fine. But I think there's a, a, a little girl crying in the background, if I can understand what she's screaming about. Um, the second the second thing that happened was then then more information came out. And it, it, obviously, guys, this, this all, you know, I'm not the court of law. No. If this is actual data or not actual data, all of this is to be determined. But what it looks like happened is that uh, Ahmad had gone into a, a house that was under construction. Uh, he had gone in and spent a few minutes in the house and then jogged out. And while he was in the house, um, which would have been, a, I'm assuming that would have been a form of trespassing, um, someone had called or made a call uh, that he was in there. And so it looks like the two men that pulled him over were trying to make a citizen's arrest based on the fact that he had done something wrong and he had, uh, he had basically broken the law. Now that's, I'm, I'm certain there's a whole, there's more facts than just that, but that's kind of the, the next wave of information that came out. And if I could just comment on what I've seen take place, once that came out, there were kind of two swings I've seen in people, you know, I, I track social media and what people are saying. And I try to, I try to rise above the, the little, back and forth as much as I can and try to get a view what's happening, what's at a deeper level here. Immediately when that second video came out, there was a whole wave of people that really dismissed the entire, the entire incident. All of a sudden it went from, uh, this is such a tragedy that Ahmad is dead um, to, well, he had broken into a house and the whole thing is justified. And I've seen this, I, I've seen that language being used everywhere. And I think from a Christian worldview, we have to think at a more complex level than that. And we have to feel with, with a deeper burden and angst for that. Um, Ahmad Arbery was a man made in the image of God, who's at the end of the day, his, his blood was spilled over, over, very, uh, over a situation that should not have led to his death. It should not have led to his death. And that should cause us to grieve. Um, how is it, you asked me the question, how has that changed my perspective, the second video? Um, in some ways, it, I, I don't want to say it's changed my perspective. I still grieve over this. I, it, I don't understand Georgia law in terms of making a citizen's arrest. It, it does seem to me like, in a, in a way, it kind of goes against the grain of Romans 12 and Romans 13. Now, I'm not talking legally. I'm not the judge. A judge will have to determine what legally took place and what was justifiable. As a Christian, thinking about what is right, Romans 12 says that we should not take vengeance against other people, and it's the, the, it's the Lord's to take vengeance. Romans 13 tells us that actually the government, the police, are the right ones to, to actually be the executors of God's judgment. Right. And so I'm really struggling with what does it mean to make a citizen's arrest? Is right. that... And I think that's a good Christian worldview thing to wrestle with. I think that got them into a lot of trouble because, honestly, when you then throw the issues of historic racism and prejudice into a culture where you can make a citizen's arrest, it gets messy fast. And yeah. I think many in our black community, many black many black brothers and sisters would say uh, there's a long history here where it, it could have been abused very easily. And that's part of the story we have to take into, into consideration. Man, that, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, the, the um, you know, the Romans 11 and 
or Romans 12 and 13, because in, in Romans 13, we do have a biblical teaching of a biblical, um, uh, what would you call it? A rubric for what the government is supposed to do. And the government is supposed to punish bad behavior and the government is supposed to reward good behavior. So God, God has instituted really three governments in human society. There's the state, there is, um, there is the family and there is the church. And what, what we have here in this situation is what really, Rafe, what it looks like to me is you've got a family, you know, the, the two, uh, the two McMichaels, the, the elder and the younger, you, I don't, I'm not going to say usurping because usurping is that there's, there's an element of illegality here with that term usurping. And I, I don't know that that's been established yet, but from a biblical perspective, you do have the family sphere, it seems, encroaching upon the governmental sphere. And, and you know, um, I think of the verse too, this says, all things must be done decently and in order. And I don't want to misapply that because I, I know that when the Apostle Paul says that, he's speaking about church, meaning people shouldn't just be, you know, all disorderly in church. That's one of the reasons you and I are not... Uh, uh, Pentecostal charismatics. We don't, uh, you know, jump up and down in church and, and throw things. Um, sorry, that was a cheap shot, Rafe. I, I need to repent of that. But um, the the uh, the principle applies that we need to do things decently and in order. And let's say, let's say that um, uh, you know one of our listeners, uh, Brandon, whose uh, Facebook name is Ethan Michael, he said. They made a call that an African-American was in there, not that specific individual. But let's say that the call was made and it was in reference to Ahmad. Worst case scenario, you've got a guy poking around a construction site. Worst case scenario, he stole something. Now, I, I don't believe he, it. I saw the video footage. Didn't look like he stole anything at all. I don't think anyone's accusing him of stealing anything at this point. But let's say that he did. Worst case scenario, the guy trespassed and stole some stuff. You know, calling the cops, I think it is reasonable. It, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with calling the cops, but pulling up and obstructing the guy with shotguns ablazing. You know, Rafe, are we calling? Are we saying that that's a justified thing? Especially, this isn't a cop. This is not a a, a duly deputized uh, deputized agent of the the you know the God instituted authority that is the government, the state. This is a family showing up. And this is where I would say, maybe there's, what we need to question is, first of all, were the McMichaels even justified by Georgia law in that, you know, they they either witnessed a crime or they had immediate knowledge of the crime, which is what the Georgia law says, uh, you know, stipulates. And is that law even biblically valid, where two guys can pull up guns ablazing and obstruct. And, and then the question is, were they, if what were they going to do? Let's say Ahmad Arbery went along with them. You know, is he supposed to assume that he has a legal obligation to go with these guys? I mean, imagine what, you know, two guys pull up with guns after you've just been poking around in a construction site. What, who in their right mind is going to go just along with them? Yeah, sure. I'll hop in your truck. Take me somewhere. You know, I'll just trust that, you know, that you have my best interest at heart here. You know, who's going to go along with that? Rafe, not me. I can tell you that much right now. Yeah. So, so. Well, and, and Joel, I mean, it, 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 just to go back to my original point real quick. Just go to my original point real quick. 
you and I, as two white men, if we were jogging down the street and there was a white pickup, is it a white pickup truck? I think it was a white pickup truck and a big guy with a shotgun standing in the middle of the road trying to stop us. What would be going through our mind as two white men would be fear, would be what in the world would be, this is, this is out, like you, you and I'd be scared. There's a whole nother layer of history and story that is going through a young black man's mind when he's jogging down a street and he sees that there's a man standing in the road with a shotgun in the middle of it. It's a whole nother story. And from a Christian worldview, that doesn't make anything, I'm not talking about legal and not legal. I'm saying from a Christian worldview, processing the moment, we have to take that into consideration when thinking about the actions and feel what our other brothers and sisters who are uh, black would feel in that moment and would, would just very naturally assume into the story, which I just have to say, talking to other white folks, don't see when they read the story. I see commentary coming that is totally detached from history. And I don't think that's helpful. We need to step into brokenness. We need to love our courts. We need to trust and believe and hold our courts to the highest judicial process. And we need to pray that they get justice. Obviously, God is a God of justice. Psalm 89, the the foundations of his throne are justice and righteousness. That is, we, we love justice. Um, but we also must have a Christian worldview and we must understand what was going through Ahmad's mind as he was running down that street is very different than what would have been going through your mind as you were running down that street. Okay. So, and, and that should cause us some kind of, some kind of sympathy. Yeah. Well, um, Rafe, I, I want to say this as well, that it's because we're trying to think biblically here. Um, there is, I, I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to, I don't even think this is questionable. There's certainly a biblical mandate to protect the innocent in a time of crisis or injustice. For example, let me say this. If you were to see a, a woman being dragged off by a couple of guys, um, I, we'd be well within our biblical rights to intervene or a child we t- to intervene, to stop them, to say, right. you know, you're not going to do this, not on my watch, to put, to interpose yourself between this uh, potential victim, or even at that point, you could say they've already begun to be victimized, and their their um, captors. Uh, there's a there's a biblical mandate for that. Uh, you know, in Proverbs it says, "Do not stand idly by while uh, the innocent are being led led to the slaughter." And don't say, um, "Don't say we didn't know," because won't get the God who judges hearts won't he? Um, won't won't he evaluate? Won't he call you to account? So, so there is such a thing as a citizen being biblically deputized, biblically authorized to intervene in a case like that. And and I think we must. And I think the book of James says, whoever knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, for him that is sin. So, but Rafe, it seems to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that that's a very different scenario from I saw somebody walking into a construction site. He he, he left the construction site, and uh, and Rafe, I you know I, I wasn't sure where exactly this conversation was going to go, but you know me, I I like to to think sort of verbally here. But it seems, as I'm processing this, it's a very different scenario between a person who's being dragged away and a person who was was trespassing at a, a construction site. You know, so what I'm what I, I'm I'm trying I'm looking for a biblical justification here. 
trying to see if there is one for these guys to impede Ahmad Arbery with guns in the middle of the road. Rafe, I'm not, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it here. I don't, I, you know, if, it's not like Ahmad was kidnapping somebody. It's not like he was harming somebody. It's not like he was trying to lead the innocent away to the slaughter or something like that. So I guess I'm thinking what's biblically lawful here. And I'm, I'm not seeing a, a biblical justification, even for a citizen's arrest here. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. What do you, what do you think about this? I'd love to know how you're. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things here, Bill, and you're, you're hundred percent right. I mean, just to give you my gut react response to that, it's, uh, this story is so horrific and they were so far out of line standing in the row with a shotgun uh, and, and, and this ending in death. It was so far out of line. That's my gut. Like, uh, like when I'm just processing my feelings on this, I just hate it. When I, when I think of, you know, my, my wife and I were joking, uh, we we have looked in houses that are in construction before. Not that we've like gone in, and I know that's that's a crime. Like I've I, that that is a crime. But we have looked in on uh, on houses that were under construction. You look in the windows. The garage is open. You look in the like, and you know. And then moving forward, I don't think we should do that. But we were actually having a conversation that we know a lot of people who have done that, or they've gone around construction sites, and someone says, "Hey," they say, "Hey, can you show me in?" as far as I understand, he didn't, there was no stealing that took place. Not that that would justify any other actions, but you're a hundred percent right. Uh, I would just say, it seems like a, not a stand your ground law. It seems like a citizen's arrest law is, can be helpful in certain situations where there's something so tragic that someone is in immediate danger and it's going to take too long for the government to get there. Like it's going to take too long for police to arrive. And by the time the police arrive, that person's going to be either dead or injured because you didn't step in. I think I can find biblical ground for that. If these two men get off because the Georgia law says that they were justified in their actions, I don't see anything biblical in that. I have a hard time seeing any real biblical precedent in allowing them to take a shotgun, stand in the middle of a road and arrest a man when nobody else was in danger. I just don't see that in scripture. Yeah. Maybe you can change my mind, but it seems like a gross, a gross jump from any kind of justice we would see in scripture. Right. And, and here's the, here's the difficulty is I've, I've been reading up on the the law here and obviously I'm not an expert on Georgia law, but uh, Brandon did post this comment. He said in Georgia, the law states that a private person may arrest someone if a crime is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. But if it's a felony, the citizen can stop someone from escaping if the citizen has reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. Now, the way that Brandon has posted this comment, certain parts of it are in quotations and other parts are not. And one of the parts that is not in quotations is if it's a felony. So I'm not sure if that's actually part of the law or if you can legally do a um, uh, a citizen's arrest in Georgia, you know, based on a misdemeanor or, or trespassing or something like that. Um, Rafe, I, I just don't know. But again, as Christians, we're trying to think biblically through this. And um, this is a big question. What what is the law? Because we, I mean, this is this is one of the things we're trying to work through on Worldview Wednesdays is we want to submit to the governing authorities and to the, to the law. And, and this is why I think, Rafe, I think you and I would both want to urge people in this direction. Okay. While at first yeah. it seems and like there may have been, um, there, there may have been, you know, 
uh, some injustice that was done in that these guys were not even arrested. It seems like there was a little bit of prejudicial treatment, favorable treatment. Uh, par- There's some partiality because possibly because the elder Michelson was a um, a police, a former police officer. But but nevertheless, uh, w- we we want to abstain from all partiality, from all prejudice, from rushing to conclusions. And I would say we want to promote the biblical value and the biblical doctrine of a fair trial and due process. And I, I, you started saying something and we're suffering from this delay here. So please, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking because of the delay a little bit, but, but say what you were going to say, man, I want to hear that. Well, uh, <clears throat> something triggered this just a moment ago. And, uh, you know, the more I have uh, diversified my life and um, gotten to have just a real diverse group of friends and understood the worldview of, uh, a black American. And, and there are, you know, I'm not saying every, I think we have to be careful that we don't call everything a, a race issue. I, I don't think that's wise or right. Um, but there are deep seeds of racism in our country that still exist today. And we need to, as Christians, be concerned about that. And one of the ways to think about this, and, you know, there might be seeds that's different, but imagine for a moment if um, a, a white man had been jogging through a mostly black neighborhood and Man, I lost you two again. Black men but I, I hear what you're saying with a shotgun um, in the road. You're saying that there are deep seas of racism in the country that, um, you know, that that do still exist. I mean, Rafe, here's the thing. Now, one of the things I hate is when that reality is used as a bludgeon uh, or some sort of trump card to win any argument. Look, there's racism. All I need to do is pull my racism card, and the argument is won because look, this party A was white, party B was black. Therefore, this is a a question of racism, and this is. Uh, a perpetration of of some sort of racist act. Okay, I hate when that's used. However, um, acknowledging the fact that racism exists does not make a person woke, does not make a person a leftist. And the reason why is because, Rafe, in our heart, we're all sinful, man. We're all sinful, depraved wretches. So if we're going to think biblically, we have to acknowledge that there's going to be prejudicial um, favoritism and, and ethnic uh based thinking and and rafe i'm one of these guys that thinks that anybody can be racist i'm one of these guys that thinks that uh, anybody can be can be partial or exhibit partiality towards anyone given any category whether it's my skin color ethnicity or anything else and so um you know i don't i don't think uh i i am not one of these guys that says i don't jump immediately to the racism uh, card, nor do I say, well, that's necessarily excluded because, you know, we're not living in the Jim Crow South or right. something like that. So can, it sounds like you're back. So please continue right. that thought. And all right, so what I was going to share, and you're hundred percent right. And what I was going to share on that is just imagine for a moment, if, uh, it was a white man jogging through a largely black neighborhood and, uh, two black men had stepped out and one of them had a shotgun in his hand and the white man and a white, white, white man ended up dying. Now, we might say, and, and w- what we would hope in a just society, uh, which is what we hope American law Lost is. Lost you again, man. We might hope in no a partiality. just society that, uh, what, that justice would be done. Um, Rafe, whenever, whenever we, you're, we would hope just keep on talking, ju- man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep talking until I hear you start to talk again. Yeah, because we would hope delay. that it would be, I'm so sorry about that. Keep we would going, hope just society that America is just. And what we would hope is that, in both those situations, these cases would be handled the exact same way. 
and we would end at the exact same conclusion. I think one of the things to be seen is, I think there's a long history that this is a part of, and one of the reasons we saw such an outcry is because there is a real history of it not being handled the same way. That doesn't change how this case should be handled. The case should look at the facts and should be handled well. But as Christians step into other people's brokenness, we need to be aware of that history. And we need to allow to hear people and love them well while holding to facts and, and loving our courts of law and praying for them to be just consistently. Yeah, and and you know, we have to acknowledge that that is a real difficulty as well. You know, Mark Sanders just commented that he says not that any of their actions were justified, but maybe what emboldened the father is that he was a 30-year law enforcement officer there and just retired last year. So, you know, that's something to take into consideration here too, um, that, you know, the elder Michelson, he was used to arresting people. He was used, so he, 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 had, he, he had this muscle memory where when he saw someone, you know, suspected of a crime or something like that, his experience, his muscle memory has trained him to intervene. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was a high school teacher uh, in the in the, uh, in the in the near west side, near southwest side, um, in the Tri Taylor neighborhood. I was a high school teacher in, here in Chicago, of course. And um, I remember after I became a, a, a teacher, I found myself much more comfortable intervening in. Uh, in situations, if I, you know, if some kids were kind of like fighting or, you know, pulling pranks on each other and stuff like that, you know, I was very comfortable saying, Hey kids, you know, uh, be respectful of each other, that kind of stuff. And, you know, you might say, well, Joel, you shouldn't have intervened. You know, uh, you shouldn't get into, um, you shouldn't get into, uh, other people's scenarios. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, um, I was thinking like a teacher. Now, maybe it's possible the elder Michelson, um, and when I say muscle memory, what I, what I mean here is he was used to intervening, right? Now, again, I agree with Mark. That doesn't justify what he did. And so, uh, and, and that's not at all why, why I'm saying that, but it might, it might shed some light. And as well, Rafe, I think this ties in with, with what you were saying. There's also a, the danger here too of just as he might have had the, um, the propensity to intervene, again, certainly not justifying it, um, Yes. So Mark Mark just posted another comment. He says that is probably what got him preferential treatment by the DA there. That's that's what I'm getting at. See, there's this natural tendency, Rafe, I think if we're being honest, to be prejudicial, to show favoritism toward our own specific in-group. So, you know, as um, we might do this as Christians, if we belong to a particular group within society, we might... We might uh, tend to favor members of our own group. And it's such a difficulty to be impartial. And yet, biblically speaking, we must not be partial based on superficial categories. Um, Matthew 7, 2 says, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same standard you use. In other words, Jesus himself is calling us to an objective standard. If you don't want someone else to judge you prejudicially, then you don't judge preju mm. prejudicially. And um, and uh, one more point, because I know I'm rambling here, man. So feel free to just butt in any time, obviously. But um, but uh, uh, Daryl Harrison, who hosts the Just Thinking podcast, and Daryl Daryl Harrison's a black black guy. Uh, um, I would say politically leans 
well, at least I can say this theologically leans very conservatively. Um, but uh, as an African-American, he writes on a lot of these issues of race, culture, and ethnicity. And uh, But he, what he says is this. He says, he points out that this, um, that we must defend the cause of the fatherless, of the defenseless. And he says, this isn't because they have some particular affinity with us or us with them, e.g. ethnicity, socioeconomic station. In other words, we stick up for the powerless because they have no ability to stick up for themselves. It isn't because, you know, we need to favor the powerless against the powerful. It's we favor the powerless because the powerful can already afford a lawyer. We favor the powerless because right. the, the powerful are already in a position to defend themselves. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to give everybody a fair day in court. And, uh, and that is a, a, a biblical principle. You know, would you agree with that? Right. <clears throat> yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I'm thinking just in terms of the amount of time left, one of the things I want to make sure that we uh, just point towards here, the solution to this, like, like how do we move through this and how do we navigate this conversation? We have to have a biblical worldview that roots ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ forgives us our sin, his blood on the cross for our sin. And then what it does is it establishes you and I as ambassadors for Christ, living out boldly, courageously, compassionately, the love of Jesus Christ to step into other people's brokenness and bring the kingdom of God with us. And Paul, when he lived that out, so, so just to back up for a second, that's so important. So many times, and I think the... Um, the oftentimes what's called the Reformed Church, uh, ha is a little guilty of something. And that is failing to see the need that the gospel is not just that you're saved from your sin. It is fully that, yes, Jesus' blood on the cross for you. But that same gospel is then extending throughout the world, establishing God's kingdom, and it's made you a part of it. Therefore, where you go, justice should go with it. Where you go, righteous should, righteousness should go with you, the Lord's righteousness. And you're establishing that into all the spheres in which you go. Wherever you work, wherever you live, in the little conversations you have, like, uh, you know, around the coffee, you know, well, I guess no one's at the office right now. <laughs> but the little conversations you have with family, the little conversations you have with neighbors, are, the Christian speech should be so peppered with the gospel. And I think that's one of the things I really want to challenge anyone who's listening to this with. When you find yourself in a conversation around a topic like Ahmaud Arbery, do not settle as a Christian for cheap tweets. I think we're so guilty of this. Don't settle for someone else's answer, for someone else's witty response, for someone else's compassion don't settle for that. You are a Christian, and if you're a Christian, you should have a biblical worldview that shapes your heart and your mind to think about the place you're living in and cause you to act with courage and with boldness. And I, I get so frustrated when I'm on Twitter or Facebook and I'm looking at these feeds coming across, and I just see like this echo chamber of no depth. And, and I, I think, man, to the outside world looking in on here, what are they seeing? What are they seeing? I'm glad they're seeing people jumping in, 
But what I really want them to see is people jumping in with a level of depth to understand history, to understand compassion, to understand that we don't just blindly follow what the news says. It's not what we do. We understand there's much stronger powers than us that are guiding news. We want to really understand what it is and how does it connect to people we know and love and care about in our immediate local church, in our immediate community, and then as we go out establishing the gospel wherever we go. That's the most important message I want people to hear today. And I think Amarbury, in some ways, this whole case and watching how it's played out in the conversations I've seen and heard is a, a bit of a chilling tale of a failure on Christianity's part to think biblically and compassionately. And we got to start there. Yeah, and man. then we can really engage with people on their story and really get the full. Yes. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we, we, on the, on the one hand, uh, we don't jump to conclusions about, um, about, you know, uh, w what anybody is guilty of based on superficial categories. You know, on the other hand, we want the facts and we want to be able to make sound, good, biblical, fair judgments. But at the end of the day, man, um, what I what I believe all this points to, um, and I'm not just talking about the church now, I'm talking about society at large. There is such a gospel opportunity here because, dude, the whole scenario, everyone's responses to this show that we want justice. We long for justice. And the reason why we care about justice in this case exactly. is because there's something so intrinsic ingrained within us that says we know that Ahmad Arbery, we know this in the core of our beings, this was a man made in the image of God and the death of a, a creature like that, and I don't mean creature like beast, I mean a creation. Um, he's a man made in the image of God and the death of one of God's creations made in his image is always a tragedy. Whether, whether whatever the person's recorded, whatever the person has done in this life or accomplished in this life, or whatever his IQ was, whatever, whoever loved him or didn't love him, it's always a tragedy, man, because death is an enemy. Um, and, and the, the, uh, the desire, the longing in a heart for justice must point believers toward the hope that we have that one day there will be perfect justice. And yet at the same time, Rafe, I know you'd agree with this. It must also cause us to look introspectively at our own hearts and say, wow, what about me? What if I really got justice? You know, what if God really held me to account for everything that I've uh, ever done in my life? Oh, you know, boy. What if I had to be judged for every, the Bible says for every little idle word that a man speaks, he'll be judged. Dude, can you just even imagine what that would be like looking at the almighty God in the face and saying, um, and having to give an account. So Joel, why'd you say this? What about that? Why'd you say that to your wife? Why'd you say this to your kids? Why'd you say that when you mm. thought nobody was listening? Uh, dude, that's a terrifying thought. Yeah. And that must drive us to the foot of the cross, the throne of grace, um, and, and just must drive us to plead for God's mercy and to be so thankful that because Jesus died for our sins, we will never, for, if, for those of us who trust in Christ, we will never have to face the brunt of God's condemnation for our sin because Jesus paid that price for us. 
And that's true for across the spectrum, black, yeah. white, red, yellow, brown, anybody who comes to Christ, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I know that's, I know that's something you're passionate about mm. as well. Yes. Have yeah, and, and just here? maybe just oh. my last comment, just jumping yeah. on what you just said there. I'm I'm, I'm thinking of the non-Christian who might be listening to this and, and, and thinking through the things they're hearing us say. And <clears throat> from a, an apologetic standpoint, what I would want them to hear is if there, and I think you just shared this a moment ago, but if there's something in their heart that longs for justice, if there's something in their heart that looks out at a world that's full of corruption and looks at a world that's full of brokenness and says it's not right, the very nature that they're saying it's not right means that they're actually operating out of a biblical worldview that says that there is a God, that God is just, he's made us in his image, and he will have ultimate justice. Those things are rooted in the biblical worldview. If you're not a Christian and you long for those things, you're hijacking the Christian's worldview. You're hijacking the biblical worldview and you're claiming it as your own without the foundation yeah. of the God who makes all those things possible. Yeah. And so for the atheist who longs for justice, the category of just justice for something that feels morally wrong, that's a Christian category. The atheist has a very difficult time creating a category to speak of morality and immorality because, frankly, the world is just operating as an if you're an atheist, it's operating the way the world works. It, it's not good, bad, moral, immoral, right, wrong. It's just the way the universe goes. Blind, pitiless um, indifference. But if you long for Dawkins. something to put right, blind, exactly, Richard Dawkins. But if you long for something, some wrong to be made right, that's a biblical worldview. And what I would say is that's a great apologetic for a non-believer listening in on this to question, why do I long for, for injustices to find justice? Maybe it's because there's a God of the Bible who stamped justice into your core and you know that you long for it because it's him you long for ultimately. Amen, man. Amen. If you if if you look at the situation, you say, I don't think former cops should get uh, you know benef uh, preferential treatment from the DA. I don't think that uh, people should be legally allowed to arrest, uh, you know, uh, to, to to abduct people in the street. I don't. Hey, and you know what? If you're on the other side and you say, I don't think people should be allowed to 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 trespass on private property or something like that. Look, any way you approach this, any way you approach this, and and. I, I am not equating the two just because I know I'm going to get people watching this and, and I'm always thinking, well, how is the skeptic going to respond here, Rafe, as I know you do as well. By no means am I equating the two. All I'm saying is this, any possible way you approach this, it points right back to God. It points right back to the categories of justice and righteousness. And those things are only perfectly found in Jesus. And dude, I know that our prayer is that, um, that, that both justice and mercy would be found by all of our listeners in Christ. That is where justice and mercy meet is right there on the yep. cross. So, um, dude, I, I love it, man. I love the, exactly. uh, huh. I love, I love being able to look at these things through a biblical lens, through a gospel lens. Um, Rafe, before we go, man, what, what's a, what's one project you're working on right now or, or something that you, you want folks to know about before we sign off? Oh man, Joel, uh, I'm, my big project right now, I'm a pastor and I'm, I'm praying through what it means for our church to be in this season, uh, to try to be respectful of the governing authorities and yet at the same time believe in different spheres of authority and uh, how we care for our members well. We have, you know, I think one of the things my heart burdens for is those who are really suffering right now through loneliness, 
depressions, uh, just being alone is not good. And I feel like there's a lot of that right now in the world of Christianity as people are isolated. And my heart as a pastor is just to care for people well. So if you could say, if I said, what am I working on? I don't want to call that a project. That's kind of my vocation <laughs> is what I do fully. Uh, but trying to mobilize the church to be a, a church that's really caring for those in need right now. Um, and then, yeah, obviously I keep my blog at rafechenry.com. I'm working, you know, I, I mentioned last week, I'm working on a, a, a men's ministry program that's going to come out this summer that I'm just pumped for. I'm getting those talks in place right now. Uh, but that's kind of the stuff I got going on. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. By the way, I want to give a quick plug too for something um, for something that you've created that we we have to use with the Think Institute, and that is you created chapter by chapter summaries of three or four of Cornelius Van Til's books. And dude, I cannot wait to get those formatted and up on the Think Institute website um, because you know the way we approach apologetics. For those of you who don't know, if you're new to the Think Institute. Is we approach that we approach apologetics from a presuppositional standpoint, and there's different names for it. Some people call it uh, uh, expository apologetics, or reformed apologetics, or a covenantal apologetics. But the the point is, um, the the granddaddy of it all is this guy Cornelius Van Til, and Rafe has gone through uh, and read these books by Cornelius Van Til and created these these book summaries, these guides. And uh, man, are they going to be helpful to to our folks? So I don't know, man, Rafe. Maybe someday we make that like a premium feature. We we it, we incorporate some kind of subscriber, um, you know, <laughs> oh, I like that. level content. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that would be a treat, man. I would I would sign up for that. But uh, for the time being, if you want to engage with the Think Institute, go to dot <laughs> institute. Uh, listen to all the episodes of the podcast, the think that Institute slash podcast. Rafe Chenery is on all the social medias that matter. Um, I'm on all the social medias that matter, or you can go to at the think Institute on Facebook and Twitter at think. No, no. I, Facebook and Instagram at think inst on Twitter. Um, and you know what? This is not goodbye. Listen, anything that we've said today, you've got to go back and test it according to scripture. So if you don't like something that we said, test it by the Bible. Maybe we're wrong. That's up to you and God, using God's word as a guide to decide. But Rafe and I are not infallible. We've got to test everything by scripture and so do you. And um, I really hope that there's been something you've heard today that you'll be able to put into practice as you seek to think biblically about the world around you. And until next time, I hope it made you think.